Live from historic downtown Carlisle, Pennsylvania, home of founding father James Wilson, 19th century hymn writer George Duffield, 19th century gospel minister George Norcross, and sports legend Jim Thorpe. It's Iron Sharpens Iron. This is a radio platform in which pastors, Christian scholars, and theologians address the burning issues facing the church and the world today. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 tells us iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Matthew Henry said that in this passage, we are cautioned to take heed with whom we converse and directed to have in view in conversation to make one another wiser and better. It is our hope that this goal will be accomplished over the next two hours, and we hope to hear from you, the listener, with your own questions. And now, here's your host, Chris Arnzen. Good afternoon, Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, Lake City, Florida, and the rest of humanity living on the planet Earth who are listening via live streaming at ironsharpensironradio.com. This is Chris Arnzen, your host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, wishing you all a happy Monday on this 29th day of January 2024. And before I introduce today's guests, I just have a couple of brief announcements to make. Uh, please mark your calendars for tomorrow, Tuesday, the 30th of January, because we are having as a guest tomorrow M.D. Perkins, who is on staff with the American Family Association, and he is also the author of the book Dangerous Affirmation, The Danger of Gay Christianity, which is a book highly lauded and recommended by Rosaria Butterfield, who many of you may be familiar with, Uh, Rosaria, a former lesbian, Marxist, leftist, and tenured college professor in upstate New York who was saved by the grace of God and has become a born-again believer and heterosexual and married to a man and so on. Uh, She uh, highly recommends uh, Dr. Perkins' book, and he is our guest tomorrow for the primary reason of responding to the very unfortunate, to put it mildly, and tragic comments of one of my favorite Christian uh, speakers, preachers, and even guests on Iron Sharp and Zion Radio in the past, Alistair Begg, uh, who recommended to a woman during a podcast interview, not mine, someone else's, uh, who recommended to a woman, a grandmother, that she attend the transgendered wedding, so-called, of her grandson, uh, as long as that grandson knew of her positions as a Bible-believing Christian, knew that she did not recognize uh, homosexuality and transgenderism as legitimate activities, in fact, uh, sinful activities, and that the the marriage is not a real marriage. But even with, with all that acknowledgement, uh, Alistair recommends that she attend this wedding and even purchase a gift for them. So unfortunately, Alistair has even doubled down on his position, even after serious uh, rebuke 
against him and even with the removal of his radio program from the American Family Association's radio network. So, uh, as I said, M.D. Perkins is going to be responding to Alistair's uh, comments and also giving further explanation on why the AFA reached their decision to remove Alistair from their radio lineup. So please mark your calendars uh, and uh, join us with your own questions tomorrow. That's Tuesday, January 30th, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. And also, I wanted to give an urgent prayer request today for a very dear friend of mine who most of you, if you listen to this program regularly, you will immediately recognize the name Grady from Asheboro, North Carolina, because he submits questions to my guests so frequently during our live interviews. Well, Grady uh, has become a very dear friend of mine, and uh, and that was through his uh, his uh, eager and frequent participation as an audience member of Iron Sharp and Zion Radio, and even his very generous financial support of this program. Uh, Grady has just re- uh, gotten out of surgery fairly recently, uh, just the other day, uh, triple bypass surgery, and uh, he is having, he's experiencing a setback with his ability to breathe properly. So the doctors, at at least at the point when Grady notified me of this earlier today, the doctors were not 100% sure what was going on. So please pray for Grady. Uh, I want him sticking around here on this side of the dirt for a lot uh, longer, a lot lot more years ahead of us. And uh, he's a precious, humble, sweet brother. If you've ever met him, you'd immediately fall in love with him. He's such a, a wonderful, dedicated a passionate brother in Christ. So please keep praying for Grady from Asheboro, North Carolina, and his full recovery from the triple bypass surgery. But now I am delighted to announce that today we have a first-time guest who comes with the highest and most enthusiastic recommendation of my dear friend, Dr. Joseph C. Moorcraft III, pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church in Cumming, Georgia, and his wife, Becky, uh, they strongly urge me to interview Marcus Servan, who's my guest today. Uh, he is pastor of Christian Discipleship at Redeemer Presbyterian Church of Austin, Texas, which is a congregation in the Presbyterian Church in America denomination. And today we're going to be addressing John Calvin in the role of pastor and it's my honor and privilege to welcome you for the very first time ever to Iron Trip and Zion Radio, Marcus Servan. You are welcome, Chris. Glad to be here. Well, uh, please tell our listeners something about Redeemer Presbyterian Church of Austin, Texas. Yeah, Redeemer Presbyterian Church has been in existence about 30 years. We are a downtown church. I actually came to Redeemer seven years ago after I had retired from 37 years of pastoral ministry in the PCA and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And I uh, came here to Austin, uh, like many people do, to be in some warmer weather and moving from St. Louis, but also to be close to some of my adult children and grandchildren. Started volunteering at Redeemer 
and they started uh, noticing um, God was using me in ministry. And so they invited me to come out of retirement and to uh, work part-time at the church. It's a, a downtown church close to the university, a strong commitment to reform theology, strong commitment to reformed liturgy in the, uh, in the church and has a, um, a good impact upon the city of Austin. It's amazing to me that in such a liberal city, we have some very strong Bible oriented churches, several of which are reformed in their theology. Not all, of course, but it's, uh, it's encouraging to see that here in Texas. Yeah, a lot of people who are unfamiliar with Texas may be shocked to hear that there is a city in Texas that is extremely liberal, and that certainly is one of them, isn't it? It absolutely is. It's the, um, of course, it's the state capital. That's one um, one reason why. But beyond that, the University of Texas is uh, very close by the Longhorns. And even though I'm not a uh, graduate from University of Texas, I still have an affinity for the Longhorns, as most people do here in Austin. So uh, that brings uh, liberal, progressive ideas very much into the forefront of this city. But uh, at the same time, there is a hunger for the gospel because, as you know, and as I've experienced over the years, liberal answers point people to themselves, to their own humanistic aspirations. They don't really have an answer for dealing with sin, and they're hungry for finding that answer. And it's only the gospel of Christ that gives that answer. Hallelujah. And if anybody uh, is uh, living in or near Austin, Texas, or perhaps you have family, friends, and loved ones who live in or near Austin, Texas, or you're traveling through there, the website for Redeemer Presbyterian Church of Austin, Texas, is RedeemerPres.org. RedeemerPres.org. Once again, uh, let me remind my listeners, if you wonder why sometimes uh, my voice sounds strange, I am still recovering from Bell's palsy. It is getting slightly better, uh, but you may uh, recognize occasionally a lisp or something else weird coming out of my mouth. And I just thank God that it was not a stroke as originally suspected. And thank you for your continued prayers. Uh, well... Uh, we have a tradition here on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, uh, Pastor Marcus. Uh, whenever we have a first-time guest, we have that guest give a summary of their salvation testimony, which would include any kind of religious atmosphere in which they were raised, if any, and what kind of providential circumstances our sovereign Lord raised up in their lives that drew them to himself and save them, and I would love to hear a summary of your story. Sure, happy to do that. Yeah, I grew up in Southern California and didn't really know much of anything about the Christian faith. Uh, my family, we attended church somewhat irregularly. It was a very liberal Protestant church in Glendale, California, and the pastor was a great speaker, but he never really preached the gospel, never called anyone to repentance from their sins. And uh, so Christianity to me just seemed like a social gathering in many respects. 
But in my 17th year, I had a couple of friends who came to faith in Christ, and they went away for Christmas break to a camp. And at that camp, the speaker encouraged all of the uh, young men and women to, when they came back to school in January, to share the gospel with somebody. And so uh, these uh, young guys who were my friends all prayed over who they should ask or who they should speak to, and they all came up with my name. And I remember it very vividly, spinning the dials on my high school locker, hearing my name called out, looking over my shoulder and seeing these three friends of mine all coming up, Bibles open, ready to engage me in the gospel and that discussion. And I was a little bit frightened by that. And so for the next three months, they continued to speak to me at every opportunity about the uh, gospel of Christ, my need for repentance. God had already been working in my life. I had become more acutely aware of my own sin and different questions about who was Jesus and what was his real identity began to surface in my mind as I started thinking about these things. So God was already at work pulling me and drawing me. But it was finally in hearing the gospel from these friends and their encouragement to start reading the scriptures for myself that uh, a change came about. And for me, it was a very dramatic uh, conversion change. Uh, That's not true for everybody, but it was true in my case. My parents were pretty alarmed when I started identifying myself as a Christian. Uh, God had changed my heart and changed a lot of things in me. They were worried that I had gotten involved in some sort of cult group. But uh, these three friends of mine, they were involved at the local Presbyterian church. And so I assured them that it's okay, mom. It's okay, dad. I'm, I'm just becoming a Presbyterian. <laughs> they, <laughs> they didn't know what quite the make of that. But um, at any rate, it was there in that church at uh, Glendale Presbyterian Church was the Presbyterian Church USA congregation which back in the early 70s still had a very strong commitment to the gospel, to Christian orthodoxy, to the truthfulness of the Bible. Yeah, and amazingly, there are, or there is, I should say, a tiny remnant of such congregations still remaining in the PCUSA. Now, I have strong disagreements with leaders in those biblically faithful churches for remaining there, but they still do exist. I know a number of men who are uh, very committed to the truths of Scripture and uh, simultaneously remaining in that denomination, hoping to be uh, 21st century Martin Luther's or something. But um, anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there, that, that, that even though I think the majority of the denomination is apostate, there exists a remnant there of faithful men. It's getting harder and harder to remain. I, I, I was first uh, ordained in uh, 1981 in the Presbyterian Church USA, served a church in the San Francisco Bay Area for five years. But I could see as time went along that there was a growing divide between what I would call light and darkness, and the um, 
the impression of darkness growing amongst our fellow presbyters and ministers was growing so great that I I couldn't stay in that denomination any longer. And I gave that up, went back to school for a little while, trying to figure out where the Lord would take me next. And then in, um, would be a 1977 that I, excuse me, 1987, I'm sorry, got my decades mixed up. 1987 that I joined the PCA and was able to get reordained in that denomination and served in the um, the more smaller Presbyterian denominations ever since then. And that's that was a faithful and a very good decision that God led me to in terms of ministry. As far as called to ministry, I was a uh, 18-year-old one of the pastors at that Glendale Presbyterian Church called me into his office one night after youth group, and he looked across his big desk and he said to me, Marcus, God is calling you to the ministry. And I just about fell out of my chair. I I couldn't quite believe it. I was heading toward military service, and much like my grandfather and my father, but um, he persisted and gave a lot of good reasons came up to see my parents and explain that, had our senior pastor come up, and that uh, made a big impression, enough so that I changed direction and went toward ministry as a um, first-year college student. And after uh, getting a year of ministry under my belt, there was no looking back. I, I was totally convinced that God had called me into ministry. I didn't know all that it would mean, but... That's the direction I was going to go for my life. So here we are many, many years later. I just hit uh, 70 years old here last month and still in ministry after all these years and glad for it. Praise God. Um, I hope you don't mind me bringing up the elephant in the room uh, about, sure. the, about the PCA, although I know of many, many, many fine pastors and congregations within that denomination I'm assuming you admit that is not a denomination without problems as far as things like the Revoice uh, pro-chaste uh, homosexual movement uh, where uh, somebody, as long as they are refraining from physical activity, uh, are welcome into leadership and so on after a profession of being homosexual as their identity and things like that. This is something that the PCA still is in a, a bit of a tug of war uh, within their own ranks about, right? Yeah, that's very true. And I, um, as I mentioned, I served for many years in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church where some of those issues are not at all on the radar. Um when I came here to Austin, I found what I thought was a, a very good church, and it, and it is. And they invited me to transfer my credentials into the PCA. There was a little bit of reluctance on my heart um, in doing so. I had been in the PCA before. I kind of knew what the issues were. And thankfully, in this particular church, uh, those issues are not in the forefront. 
I'd like to be able to tell you that uh, the Lord is cleaning house entirely in the PCA. There have been some changes in a positive way over the last year or so. But uh, there still are a number of men who might question the whole matter of homosexual desires, that same-sex attraction, insisting that that is not sinful. What I like to remind those men when we have opportunity to talk and to debate some of the issues is that Paul's very clear that the desires, the unnatural desires, as he calls them in Romans 1, are just as sinful as the actual act. Our Lord makes that same distinction in the Sermon on the Mount when he declares that our infatuations or desires or lusts are just as sinful as the act. And so it's it's an artificial distinction, I believe, that's part of the sort of the odd and upside down thinking of our current era that we live in to call those things that are wicked good and those things that are good wicked. So uh, I want to continue to labor, if I can, uh, for many years yet uh, in the PCA to try to be a voice for biblical orthodoxy and and the uh, calling of people in this world to repentance and not giving them an excuse or rationalization for wrong behavior. Amen. Well, uh, we are now going to our first commercial break, and when we return, we will begin our primary theme, John Calvin and the role of pastor. If you do have questions about uh, the life and legacy of John Calvin, uh, please submit your questions to chrisarnzen at gmail.com, C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. Please give us your first name at least, your city and state, and your country of residence. And only remain anonymous if your question involves a personal and private matter. Let's say something that we're discussing uh, is an area where you are at odds with your own church. Perhaps you are seeing the legitimacy and biblical integrity uh, for the doctrines known as Calvinism, Reformed Theology, and the doctrines of sovereign grace, and the doctrines of free grace, and other nicknames. And um, perhaps this is a matter of strong tension with you and your elders. It may, may even be that you're the pastor, and you have uh, developed uh, the uh, affirming belief in the doctrines of so-called Calvinism, uh, which we repeat is only a nickname because we believe these are biblical teachings. Uh, but uh, and you are at odds with your own fellow elders or your denomination. Well, we would understand that these would be reasons for you to remain anonymous, but if your question is general in nature, please give us your first name at least, city and state and country of residence. We'll be right back. Do not go away. Pastor Keith Allen of Lindbrook Baptist Church, a Christ-centered, gospel-driven church looking to spread the gospel in the southwest portion of Long Island, New York, and play our role in fulfilling the Great Commission, supporting and sending for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're delighted to be a part of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron Radio advertising family. 
At Lindbrook Baptist Church, we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired word of God, inerrant in the original writings, complete as the revelation of God's will for salvation, and the supreme and final authority in all matters to which they speak. We believe in salvation by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. This salvation is based upon the sovereign grace of God, was purchased by Christ on the cross, and is received through faith alone, apart from any human merit, works, or ritual. Salvation in Christ also results in righteous living, good works, and appropriate respect and concern for all who bear God's image. If you live near Lynbrook, Long Island, or if you're just passing through on the Lord's Day, we'd love to have you come and join us in worship. For details, visit lynbrookbaptist.org. That's L-Y-N Brook Baptist.org. This is Pastor Keith Allen of Lynbrook Baptist Church reminding you that by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. May the Lord bless you in the knowledge of himself. I'm Phil Johnson, Executive Director of Grace to You with John MacArthur. I've been a frequent guest on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, and I highly recommend this show. But today I want to tell you about one of its advertisers, Rare Document Traders. Far and away, my favorite source for quality Charles Spurgeon memorabilia. Are you looking for that special, unique gift for your pastor or missionary friend or a loved one? Why not purchase a piece of church history that any believer would cherish? Rare Document Traders is your one-step source for Spurgeon's handwritten manuscripts and letters, as well as other rare books and collectible items from church history. In 15 years that they've been in business, they've earned a stellar reputation in the Reformed community with thousands of satisfied customers all around the world, including me. Visit raredoctraders.com today. That's raredoctraders.com. Don't forget to mention you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. That's raredoctraders.com. Sarnson here, host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. I strongly recommend a church I've been recommending as far back as the 1980s, Grace Covenant Baptist Church in Flemington, New Jersey, pastored by Alan Dunn. Grace Covenant Baptist Church believes it's God's prerogative to determine how he shall be worshipped and how he shall be represented in the world. They believe churches need to turn to the Bible to discover what to include in worship and how to worship God in spirit and truth. They endeavor to maintain a God-centered focus and to protect worship from the intrusion of carnal entertainments and distractions. Reading, preaching, and hearing the Word of God, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, baptism, and communion are the scriptural elements of their corporate worship performed with faith, joy, and sobriety. Discover more about Grace Covenant Baptist Church in Flemington, New Jersey at gcbc-nj.org. That's gcbc-nj.org. Or call them at 908-996-7654. That's 908-996-7654. 
Tell Pastor Dunn you heard about Grace Covenant Baptist Church on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. President of the SecureCom Group and an enthusiastic supporter of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron radio program. The SecureCom Group provides the highest level of security, closed-circuit television, access control, and communication systems for Manhattan's top residential buildings, as well as churches, commercial properties, municipalities, and more. We custom install exactly what you need to protect yourself, including digital recording, off-site viewing, and connectivity from most smart devices. From simple code-activated systems to the latest technology using facial recognition, the SecureCom Group has it. We also provide the latest in intercom and IP telephone systems. In addition, we provide superior networking platforms. We'll create, maintain, and secure your local network. Whether it's a Wi-Fi or hardwire network, we'll implement the latest secured firewall, endpoint solutions, and cloud backup. I would love to have the honor and privilege of helping protect the lives and property of Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners and their associates. For more details on how the SecureCom Group may be of service to you with the very latest in security innovations, call 718-353-3355. That's 718-353-3355. Or visit securecomgroup.com. That's securecomgroup.com. This is Brian McLaughlin of the SecureCom Group, joining Chris Arnzen's family of advertisers to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Iron Sharpens Iron Radio praise God for the generous monthly financial support of Royal Diadem Jewelers educated by and affiliated with the American Gem Society Jewelers of America and the Gemological Institute of America for the perfect custom designed engagement ring or any one of a kind piece of jewelry created exactly according to your imagination and specifications Royal Diadem Jewelers has you covered. No matter where you live in the world, Royal Diadem will walk you step by step through every stage of the process and even hold a high-tech internet virtual visit using state-of-the-art jewelry design technology to serve you. They start by listening carefully to determine your needs. They're interested in making what you want, not what they want to sell you. From rough design to digital model, to photorealistic image, to wax prototype model, to the finished product, they're continually listening to your input, likes and dislikes, making any changes necessary along the way. This will ensure that your custom jewellery will turn out exactly as you dreamed and well beyond your expectations. Visit royaldiadem.com. That's royaldiadem.com today. Sterling Vanderwerker, owner of Royal Diadem Jewelers, his wife Bronnie, his business partner and manager Brian Wilson, and the entire family thank you all for listening to, praying for, and supporting the work of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio.
And don't forget, folks, RoyalDiadem.com is still offering Iron Trippin's Iron Radio this mind-blowing opportunity. They are giving Iron Trippin's Iron Radio 100% of the profits from any sale of jewelry to an Iron Trippin's Iron Radio listener simply by that listener saying, I heard about RoyalDiadem.com on Iron Trippin's Iron Radio. That's it. And we will get 100% of the profits from that sale of jewelry. So, with Valentine's Day coming up, or if you are popping the question and going to uh, propose to uh, uh, some special lady in your life, or perhaps it's your wedding anniversary, or a whole host of other reasons why you would buy jewelry, or even perhaps you're buying jewelry for yourself, please go to royaldiadem.com as quickly as possible, because we have no idea when they're going to pull the plug on this amazing offer where we get... 100% of the profits from any sale of jewelry. So go to RoyalDiadem.com today, whether you are purchasing jewelry they already have in stock or having a special, unique, one-of-a-kind piece of jewelry created and customized, uh, whichever the case may be, please go to RoyalDiadem.com today to at least get the ball rolling and make sure you mention Iron Sharp and Zion Radio so that we will be insured of receiving 100% of the profits from that sale of jewelry. That's royaldiadem.com. We're now back with my uh, guest today, Marcus Servin. We are talking about John Calvin in the role of pastor. If you have a question, please submit it to chrisarnzen at gmail.com, C-H-R-I-S-A-R-N-Z-E-N at gmail.com. Give us your first name, at least, city and state and country of residence. And John Calvin, I'm sure you would agree, uh, Pastor Marcus, is one of the most slandered and vilified figures from church history, especially, of course, by those who reject his theological conclusions. Uh, And it's mind-boggling how men who are even in a position of academic credentials uh, should know better, who still perpetuate lies about Calvin, but... If you could, just give us an overview of Calvin the man, in summary form, of course, before we move on specifically to his role as a pastor, because that is not typically what comes to mind, at least I don't think it does. When people think of John Calvin, they think of a theologian, whether they agree with him or not. They think of somebody, uh, perhaps even erroneously, just locked in a study, uh, who is burying himself with books, and, and that, I believe, was his preference. <laughs> but uh, he he did labor as a pastor nonetheless. Uh, if you could, tell us about John Calvin. Sure. I first became acquainted with uh, John Calvin when I was a student in seminary. I was uh, studying at uh, Fuller Seminary back in the day in the late 70s, and my professor had us reading uh, Karl Barth and various other neo-Orthodox theologians, and a, a number of us went to him and protested that and just said we wanted to read somebody who was holding to a higher view of Scripture. And so he suggested perhaps we might like to read uh, Louis Burkhoff and John Calvin. And we said, fantastic, let's do that. And so I remember getting my first set of Calvin's Institutes uh, from my parents when I was 25 years old, and 
beginning to read through the institutes. And that began a uh, strong affinity to uh, Calvin and his writings. These are the same parents that thought you were in a cult when you started to really believe your Presbyterianism? Yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's an an interesting choice of gifts. Well, it probably wasn't my suggestion that I I said, this is what I would really like, (laughs) mom and dad. And they, uh, yeah, they got me that. And that was kind of the best Christmas gift ever. Um, I mean, I still have those books. I've read them through many times. They're full of my underlinings and thoughts and comments and the margins and so forth. But that began my interest in Calvin. But you're right. uh, So many people have had odd and unsettled feelings about John Calvin, partly because they have either never read a line from the Institutes They've never read any of his commentaries. They've never read any of his sermons. And they've been fed lots of misinformation about his role in Geneva. Those are some of the reasons why people have negative impressions about John Calvin. Yes, people have to be very careful not to only read the claims about someone from that person's enemies. And that's what many people do. Either they rely on books where Calvin has been vilified and slandered, or they just rely on sermons and uh, the uh, audio recordings or videos of preachers who are vehemently anti-Calvinist spewing out lies about him. And that's that's a very dangerous thing to do with anybody, even if you're a Calvinist. uh, Don't start vilifying Wesley until you know what he believed. And I'm not even saying you should vilify him after you know what he believed. But don't don't uh, be bad mouthing publicly, especially men of God who disagree with you without even taking any effort to explore what they actually stood for. Yeah, that's so true. It's easy to come up with uh, straw man arguments about what a person believed or how they represented themselves or how their logic worked out without really doing the hard work of reading them yourself. So as I read Calvin, I came to a far different opinion about him than what I might have learned in college and so forth. I found that he was a man who had strong beliefs, no question about that, but he also had a a very uh, gentle pastoral approach he um, he doesn't come across as a polemical arguer in the Institutes so much, maybe a little bit more in his commentaries where he's trying to make strong arguments in a precise, logical way. But in the Institutes, he's uh, much more agreeable and is willing to speak about uh, issues that really encourage one's faith. So a uh, little bit about him. First of all, he was born in France. That's the first thing you need to know. He was a Frenchman, and he uh, came to faith uh, in Christ in his uh, early 20s. He had been sent off to the University of Paris to a number of the different colleges there where he distinguished himself as a student. But it really was uh, through the impact of an older uncle of his and then through some of his professors and also a few 
roommates and friends. And then probably from reading a tract or two from Martin Luther that began to realize that his, um, his faith uh, was hopelessly mired in many of the wrong-headed beliefs that went along with medieval Catholic theology. And as he began to read the Bible for himself, that all began to change. He, uh, he speaks of his conversion, and he doesn't speak often, only really in his preface to the commentary on the Psalms. He speaks of it being a sudden conversion, where the lights came on, so to speak, in his mind. As uh, he would write about it later, he very clearly made the, uh, the statement that regeneration precedes faith that God was the one who regenerates his heart and gives the gift of faith, as Paul would also enumerate in Ephesians 2. And so we see Calvin coming to faith, and right away he gets involved in uh, the evangelical movement, so to speak, in Paris, France, which was not welcome by the religious leaders or by the French uh, nobility or monarchy. At one point, uh, one of Calvin's friends, a man by the name of Nicholas Kopp, who was the rector of the University of Paris, uh, the year 1533, uh, this sermon uh, becomes a, a lightning rod in Paris, and Calvin has to flee because he's a friend of Nicholas Kopp. And as a result... The um, the fleeing is quite an interesting story. Would you like to hear the story? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, Calvin, it turns out, when the uh, secret police from the uh, Sorbonne begin to, to investigate Nicholas Kopp, they find that Calvin helped him to write his sermon that everybody got so worked up and inflamed over. And as Nicholas Kopp fled Paris himself, it was a few days later that they came to realize that Calvin had had a hand in this, and so they tracked him down pretty quickly. They found him in his apartment late at night. He had already gotten ready for bed, and they came and started pounding on the doors downstairs. Some of Calvin's roommates refused to let them in and made all kinds of excuses They went up and warned Calvin, who at that time was a pretty young guy in his uh, mid-20s, and he threw on his clothes. They tied together some bed sheets, and he slipped out the second-story window in back of the apartment and ran into the night in Paris. And eventually, he made his way out of the city. And at that point, Calvin really became a fugitive. There was no turning back at that point. He could not be quote, that sort of secret academic type of Christian who could write and speak about things in friendly places. But he was identified as a fugitive, and the uh, religious police were after him. By the way, this is one of the few uh, reasons I find consolation that the Roman Catholic Church of our modern day does not believe in the death penalty. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) But anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting you. (laughs) No problem. Um, 
Well, uh, since Calvin is now a fugitive, uh, he uh, begins to seek out refuge in various places. He had a friend who uh, let him stay at his family's home in Angoulême, and it's there that Calvin begins to lay out a draft for what would become the Institutes of the Christian Religion. He um, returns to his hometown in 1534. He resigns some of the benefices that had been arranged for him by his father so that he could study at the University of Paris. Those are financial rewards, basically. He gives those up, and he begins to part ways in an official way with Roman Catholicism. And he uh, makes his way to Basel, Switzerland, where he writes the Institutes of the Christian Religion. At that time, it was only six chapters long. Uh, Later, the Institutes in the fifth edition is going to grow to 80 chapters. And so you can see the uh, way that 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 particular book of Calvin through various editions grew and matured over time. But the first edition, Calvin called his uh, little book. It was little so that you could slip it into your coat pocket And you could have a treatise based on the Apostles' Creed that would delineate what the Bible teaches about who Jesus Christ is and about what the gospel is and what it means to be a Christian. And so people could hide it in their coat pocket. But as I mentioned, over time, it grows much, much larger. And Calvin gets not only uh, the notoriety of being a fugitive, but he also begets the notoriety of being an author, of having written the Institutes of Christian Religion. So in 1536, uh, Calvin goes back into France. He is able to make contact with a younger brother and a younger sister, and they begin to make their way out of France. The problem is he starts running into French troops, who are looking for people like Calvin. And so he makes a detour to the south. And rather going back to Basel, he takes the long way there through Geneva. And that's when he encounters William Farrell, the fiery redheaded evangelist. (laughs) The thorn in his side. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And Calvin's... um, plan at that point is only to stay one night in Geneva. He's on his way to Basel, where he's going to continue to write. He's seeking after a quiet life of scholarship. That's his stated goal. And Pharrell begins to enlist him to stay in Geneva. And earlier that year, Geneva had decided in a great debate that happened in the city for the Reformation. They had kicked out the Roman Catholic bishop and the various monks and various nuns that were headquartered there in Geneva. They uh, removed all those things. The city government took over those properties. And so Pharrell was looking for people to help him to continue the effort of reform in Geneva, and he sought to enlist Calvin. Well, Calvin started giving him all these sort of Uh, sort of worthless excuses about how God had called him to 
write books. And God had called him to not engage in the topsy-turvy world of debate and, and ministry and so forth. And Pharrell got angrier and angrier as Calvin kept talking. And he finally jumped up on top of the table, knocking all the dishes off. <laughs> and he put his finger down in John Calvin's face and he said, you are not following your own wishes. And I declare in the name of God Almighty that if you do not assist us in this work of the Lord, the Lord will punish you for seeking your own interests rather than his. <laughs> With friends like that, who needs enemies? <laughs> Calvin was horrified. Uh, keep in mind, he's a much younger man, uh, probably 27 years old at that point. And even though he's written a book and he's got some scholarly credentials and so forth, uh, he melted in the uh, diatribe of Pharrell. And he determined that from that point on that he would come to Geneva and he would be faithful in, um, in his call. He wrote later, he said, I felt as if God had from heaven laid his mighty hand upon me to arrest me from my course. And I desisted from my journey, which I had undertaken. And so he ends up, uh, after a short trip over to Basel to settle a few affairs, he comes back to Geneva. And in September of 1536, he is uh, given the title of being the teacher of sacred scripture. And so from that point on, he sees himself as, as very much committed to the ministry of Geneva. It was not going to be easy. And Pharrell and Calvin, um, various other people, Pierre Viray, uh, an older man, Antoine Corot, and several other pastors that come their way seek to bring reform in the city, but it's far easier to get people to sign a statement of faith than to change their morals. I think you would agree with that. Oh, yeah. So uh, Calvin and uh, Pharrell begin to minister to the church. Calvin continues to teach, but he also uh, is uh, brought into the pulpit numerous times and as the uh, the first couple of years go by, uh, there's a growing opposition to what Calvin and Pharrell in particular want to do. Geneva was very much of a cosmopolitan town. It was right at the end of uh, Lake Geneva. It was the gateway into France. There was a lot of commerce. And as a result, there was a lot of vice in Geneva, not only gambling, but also prostitution and very much of a uh, cavalier attitude about morals in the city. And so uh, Calvin and the others really had their hands full in trying to bring about changes. Uh, some of these uh, matters really came to the test as the people began to speak against him. Uh, since Calvin was a Frenchman, uh, in the minutes of the city council, they just referred to him as Il Gal, that Frenchman. They didn't even mention his name in the city minutes, city council minutes. 
people started uh, being opposed to what he was preaching and teaching. They started naming their dogs after Calvin. <laughs> and so as he would walk down the street, uh, there would be people who would whistle for their dogs or call after their dogs. He would turn around and see that they were maligning him hmm. by uh, naming their dogs after him. And finally, the crisis point finally came in the spring of 1538, just really two and a half years since he had started his work in Geneva, when uh, Calvin and Pharrell and uh, Antoine Corot all determined that they could not possibly serve the Lord's Supper on Easter Sunday of that year, 1538, that would have been April 25th that year, the city council pressured them and ordered them to serve the Lord's Supper, but they refused to do so given the moral depravity of the city. By the way, could you pick up right where you left off there when we return from our midway break? Absolutely. I'm ready to go. And uh, if anybody wants to join us, with a question of your own, once again, our email address is chrisarnson at gmail.com. We'll get to as many of your questions as possible, uh, God willing, before the end of the program. Please write down as much of the contact information as you possibly can from as many of our advertisers as you can so that you can more frequently respond to our advertisers. And keep in mind, we need our advertisers to exist so please do that and send in your questions to chrisarnson at gmail.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Puritan Reformed is a Bible-believing, kingdom-building, devil-fighting church. We are devoted to upholding the apostolic doctrine and practice preserved in Scripture alone. Puritan Reformed teaches men to rule and lead as image-bearing prophets, priests, and kings. We teach families to worship together as families. Puritan is committed to teaching the whole counsel of God so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. We sing the Psalms, teach the law, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, maintain discipline, and exalt Christ. This is Pastor David Reese of Puritan Reformed in Phoenix, Arizona. Join us in the glorious cause of advancing Christ's crown and covenant over the kings of the earth. Puritan Reformed Church. Believe, build, fight. PuritanPHX.com I'm Dr. Joseph Piper, President Emeritus and Professor of Systematic and Applied Theology at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Every Christian who's serious about the Reformed faith and the Westminster Standards should have and use the eight-volume commentary on the theology and ethics of the Westminster Larger Catechism titled Authentic Christianity by Dr. Joseph Moorcraft. It is much more than an exposition of the Larger Catechism. It is a thoroughly researched work that utilizes biblical exegesis as well as historical and systematic theology. Dr. Moorcraft is pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, and I urge everyone looking for a biblically faithful church in that area to visit that fine congregation. For details on the eight-volume commentary, go to westminstercommentary.com, westminstercommentary.com. 
For details on Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, visit heritagepresbyterianchurch.com, heritagepresbyterianchurch.com. Please tell Dr. Moorcraft and the saints at Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, that Dr. Joseph Piper of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary sent you. Sharpens Iron Radio first launched in 2005, the publishers of the New American Standard Bible were among my very first sponsors. It gives me joy knowing that many scholars and pastors in the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio audience have been sticking with or switching to the NASB. This is Daryl Bernard Harrison, co-host of the Just Thinking Podcast, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Tom Buck. A First Baptist Church of Lindell, Texas, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Kent Keller of Faith Bible Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Andrew Rappaport, the founder and executive director at Striving for Eternity Ministries, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Mark Romaldi, pastor of Sovereign Grace Church of Greenbrier, Tennessee, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Christopher Cookston, pastor of Prineville Community Church in Prineville, Oregon, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Matt Tarr, pastor of High Point Baptist Church in Larksville, Pennsylvania, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. Here's a great way for your church to help keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastors, are your pew Bibles tattered and falling apart? Consider restocking your pews with the NASB. And tell the publishers you heard about them from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com to place your order. Hello, my name is Anthony Uvinio, and I'm one of the pastors at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, New York, and also the host of the ReformRookie.com website. I want you to know that if you enjoy listening to the Iron Sharpens Iron radio show like I do, you can now find it on the Apple's iTunes app by typing Iron Sharpens Iron radio in the search bar. You no longer have to worry about missing a show or a special guest because you're in your car or still at work. Just subscribe on the iTunes app and listen to the Iron Sharpens Iron radio show at any time, day or night. Please be sure to also give it a good review and pass it along to anyone who would benefit from the teaching and the many solidly reformed guests that Chris Arnzen has on the show. Truth is so hard to come by these days, so don't waste your time with fluff or fake news. Subscribe to the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio podcast right now. And while you're at it, you can also sign up for the ReformRookie.com podcast and visit our website and the YouTube page. We are dedicated to teaching Christian theology from a Reformed Baptist perspective to beginners in the faith as well as seasoned believers. From Keech's Catechism and the Doctrines of Grace to the Olivet Discourse and the Book of Leviticus, the Reform Rookie Podcast and YouTube channel is sure to have something to offer everyone seeking biblical truth. And finally, if you're looking to worship in a Reformed church that holds to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, please join us at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Coram, New York. Again, I'm Pastor Anthony Avenio, and thanks for listening.
If you love Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, one of the best ways you can help keep the show on the air is by supporting our advertisers. One such faithful advertiser who really believes in what Chris Arnton is doing is Daniel P. Patafuco, serious injury lawyer and Christian apologist. Dan is the president and founder of the Historical Bible Society. Their mission? To foster belief in the credibility of Scripture as the written Word of God. They go to various churches, schools, and institutions to publicly display a rare collection of biblical texts, along with a fascinating presentation by Mr. Butterfuco demonstrating the reliability of Scripture. To advance the cause of the gospel, they created a beautiful, perfect facsimile of the genealogy of Jesus Christ from the original engravings contained in a first edition 1611 King James Bible. This 17th century hand-engraved chart shows the family tree of Jesus Christ going back to Adam and Eve. This book is complete with gorgeous full-size illustrations of Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel and an explanation of why the genealogy of Jesus is so important for his claims to the throne of the universe. Originals of this work are in museums and nobody has ever made it accessible to the public in a large book form before. You can have your own copy of this 44-page genealogy book for a donation of $35 or more. Visit historicalbiblesociety.org. That's historicalbiblesociety.org. Thanks for helping to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastor Bill Sasso, Grace Church at Franklin, here in the beautiful state of Tennessee. Our congregation is one of a growing number of churches who love and support Iron Sharpens Iron Radio financially. Grace Church at Franklin is an independent, autonomous body of believers which strives to clearly declare the whole counsel of God as revealed in Scripture through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the end for which we strive is the glory of God. If you live near Franklin, Tennessee, and Franklin is just south of Nashville, maybe 10 minutes, or you are visiting this area, or you have friends and loved ones nearby, we hope you will join us some Lord's Day in worshiping our God and Savior. Please feel free to contact me if you have more questions about Grace Church at Franklin. Our website is gracechurchatfranklin.org. That's gracechurchatfranklin.org. This is Pastor Bill Sasser wishing you all the richest blessings of our sovereign Lord, God, Savior, and King Jesus Christ today and always. Hi, this is John Sampson, pastor of King's Church in Peoria, Arizona, taking a moment of your day to talk about Chris Arnzen and the Iron Sharpens Iron podcast. I consider Chris a true friend and a man of high integrity. He's a skilled interviewer who's not afraid to ask the big penetrating questions while always defending the key doctrines of the Christian faith. I've always been happy to point people to this podcast knowing it's one of the very few safe places on the internet where folk won't be led astray. I believe this podcast needs to be heard far and wide.
pride. This is a day of great spiritual compromise, and yet God has raised Chris up for just such a time. And knowing this, it's up to us as members of the body of Christ to stand with such a ministry in prayer and in finances. I'm pleased to do so, and would like to ask you to prayerfully consider joining me in supporting Iron Sharpens Iron financially. Would you consider sending either a one-time gift or even becoming a regular monthly partner with this ministry? I know it would be a huge encouragement to Chris if you would. All the details can be found at ironsharpensironradio.com where you can click support. That's ironsharpensironradio.com. I'm Dr. Tony Costa, Professor of Apologetics and Islam at Toronto Baptist Seminary. I'm thrilled to introduce to you a church where I've been invited to speak and have grown to love. Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, Long Island, New York, pastored by Rich Jensen and Christopher McDowell. It's such a joy to witness and experience fellowship with people of God like the dear saints at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, who have an intensely passionate desire to continue digging deeper and deeper into the unfathomable riches of Christ in His Holy Word, and to enthusiastically proclaim Christ Jesus the King and his doctrines of sovereign grace in Suffolk County, Long Island, and beyond. I hope you also have the privilege of discovering this precious congregation and receive the blessing of being showered by their love, as I have. For more information on Hope Reform Baptist Church, go to hopereformedli.net. That's hopereformedli.net. Or call 631-696-5711. That's 631-696-5711. Tell the folks at Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Quorum, Long Island, New York, that you heard about them from Tony Costa on Iron Sharpens Iron. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, Give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Solid Ground Christian Books is a publisher and book distributor who takes these words of the Prince of Preachers to heart. The mission of Solid Ground Christian Books is to bring back treasures of the past to minister to Christians in the present and future and to publish new titles that address burning issues in the church and the world. Since its beginning in 2001, Solid Ground has been committed to publish God-centered, Christ-exalting books for all ages. We invite you to go treasure hunting at solid-ground-books.com. That's solid-ground-books.com and see what priceless literary gems from the past or present you can unearth from Solid Ground. Solid Ground Christian Books is honored to be a weekly sponsor of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. And let me highly recommend uh, something available through solid-ground-books.com since we are discussing John Calvin today. Tributes to John Calvin, essays in commemoration of 500 years since his birth, edited by David W. Hall. And if you'd like that, go to solid-ground-books.com. And of course... Uh, all of the books uh, that are published and offered by solid-ground-books.com reflect the theology espoused by John Calvin. And uh, there are many books, uh, not only 
connected to specifically to his theology, but him, to him as a person as well and as a figure from history. Uh, please remember, folks, solid-ground-books.com is experiencing a serious uh, slump in book sales. And I'm hoping that as many of you in my Iron Trepan Zion radio audience as possible will come to the rescue and go to solid-ground-books.com today. And if you've never purchased from them before, please make your very first purchase today of books. And even if you purchase books regularly from them, make today your largest purchase ever if you can afford to do so from solid-ground-books.com. And please keep in mind, you're not only going to be doing solid-ground-books.com a favor by purchasing books from them, and you're not only going to be doing Iron Sharpens Iron Radio a favor by keeping one of our most important advertisers happy, you're going to be doing yourself and anyone for whom you are purchasing books from solid-ground-books.com an enormous favor of incalculable value because they bring back into print lost treasures from history dating back as far away as the 16th century Protestant Reformation. And they also bring into print for the very first time modern works by such current-day authors as Dr. James R. White of Alpha and Omega Ministries. Uh, so please go to solid-ground-books.com, frequently purchase generously. Always mention that you heard about them from Chris Arnzen of Iron Trip and Zion Radio. Before I return uh, to my guest today, Marcus Servan, as we continue our discussion on uh, John Calvin in the role of pastor, I just have some important announcements to make. Please, folks, if you really love this show and you don't want it to disappear from the airwaves, go to ironsharpensironradio.com now, click support, then click click to donate now. You could donate instantly with a debit or credit card in that fashion. If you prefer snail mail, sending in a physical check to a physical address from your local post office the old-fashioned way, well, there will also be a physical address that appears on your screen when you click support at ironsharpensironradio.com where you can mail your checks made payable to Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Uh, if you would like to advertise with us, whether it's your church, your parachurch ministry, your business, your private practice like a law firm or a medical firm, or maybe it's just a special event that you want to promote, whatever it is, if it's compatible with what I believe, I would love to help you launch an ad campaign quickly because we're just as much in urgent need of your advertising dollars as we are in your donations. So please send me an email at chrisarnson at gmail.com and put advertising in the subject line. Also, please always remember that I never want anyone in the Iron Sharpen Zion radio audience to cut in to the finances that you have reserved and set aside to give to your own local church where you're a member on the Lord's Day in order to bless us with a financial gift. In other words, never give your own church less money than you normally give your church in order to bless us with a gift. Never do that. And if you're really struggling to survive and make ends meet, wait until you're back on your feet and more financially stable before you send us a financial gift. The Bible's very clear that the money with which he has blessed us, which is his money, uh, is primarily to be used to provide for our church and our family. And providing for this radio show is obviously not a command of God. But if you do love this show, you have extra money above and beyond your ability to provide for church and family. You have extra money for benevolent, recreational, and trivial purposes. 
If you do love this show, please share some of that money with us so that we can continue to exist. Go to ironsharpensironradio.com, click support, then click, click to donate now. Last but not least, if you are not a member of a Christ-honoring, biblically faithful, theologically sound, doctrinally solid church, like Redeemer Presbyterian Church of Austin, Texas, I have extensive lists spanning the globe of biblically faithful churches, and I've helped many people in my audience in all parts of the planet Earth find churches, sometimes even within just a couple of minutes from where they live. And if you are without a church home that's biblically faithful, that may be you too. I may be able to help you find a church close to home. So send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com and put, I need a church in the subject line. That's also the email address where you can send in your questions to Marcus Servan on the life, or should I say, uh, John Calvin in the role of pastor. Uh, that's chrisarnson at gmail.com. Give us your first name, at least city and state and country of residence. And if you could pick up where you left off about that uh, point in history when there was an issue of uh, refraining from administration of the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, on Easter in Calvin's Geneva, if you could. Absolutely. The uh, kind of the conflict or the issue was that in previous decades in Geneva, they had the uh, the problem of the Lord's Supper only being administered somewhat irregularly, maybe four or possibly six times a year. And it was always under the uh, authority of the local Catholic Catholic bishop. And the uh, Catholic Church used the uh, Lord's Supper and especially excommunication from the Lord's Supper as a bit of a uh, tool to bring conformity uh, to the church, but also to advance their own agenda in allegiance to the Pope and Roman Catholic theology. So a lot of the city council members had a sour feeling about the church uh, holding back from uh, the people the Lord's Supper as Calvin and his fellow preachers wanted to do. They felt like the city at that time of Geneva had uh, made some progress in the gospel, but they uh, still were holding to many of their immoral practices, and they would say that they believed the gospel and upheld the uh, confession of faith that Calvin had written, but they didn't seem to have any change in their lifestyle so that that's what motivated uh, Calvin and Farrell and Corot, the um, the other pastor who was helping them at that time from prohibiting the Lord's Supper. Now, as the pressure grew, uh, some of the people, local people, began to get pretty belligerent. So one night, outside of Calvin's house, not far from St. Pierre, the cathedral there in Geneva, uh, there were 60 musket blasts that this sort of rowdy crowd uh, was doing right out in front of his house. And Calvin was terrified by that, uh, thinking that he would lose his life. Uh, beyond that, the city council ordered the, um, the three pastors to administer the Lord's Supper on Easter Sunday there in 1538. And if they refused to do so, they would be in lots of trouble. Well, the reformers refused to do so. There was no Lord's Supper. 
on that Easter of uh, 1538. And so the very next day, the city council voted, the small council of 25 participants to exile uh, William Farrell, uh, Antoine Corot, and also John Calvin from the city altogether. They gave them three days to leave and to get out of town. They were declared persona non grata, not welcome here any longer. So here's Calvin, who felt that God had called him to minister in Geneva and to be a steady and faithful pastor there. Now he's being thrown out of the city by the civil authorities. And it was a very bitter pill uh, for him to accept. In fact, uh, the story of what happened to Caro, who was uh, partially blind, is really sobering. And that is that as he left the city, he took residence in an inn not far from Geneva, and he was poisoned while he was there and died. Wow. And that gave Calvin and Pharrell much to be fearful about. They attempted to get uh, Bern, one of the other prominent Swiss cities, to intercede for them, but Bern uh, refused to get fully involved. And eventually, Calvin was recruited by Martin Busser in Strasbourg in God's providence. And that is where he landed. Uh, William Farrell went to Neuchâtel in Switzerland, and he had a prosperous ministry there for many, many decades afterwards. But Calvin went to Strasbourg where he took up the role as a pastor of a congregation of French refugees, people who had fled from France and who had come to Switzerland to find religious liberty, especially in Strasbourg. It was there that uh, Calvin, at times, was so poor, he had this uh, congregation of refugees, so they could hardly pay him for his role as a pastor. But he was so poor, he had to sell a number of his books just to kind of make ends meet. He uh, taught in a local Bible college that was there in Strasbourg. But probably the, the most significant event of all was that he met a young woman by the name of Adelette de Bure. And she was a young widow, a lovely young widow of French background. Her husband had died in a plague they had become members of Calvin's church. The husband died. Several friends were trying to find a spouse for John Calvin. Uh, none of them recommended Idoletta de Bure, uh, even though she was right at hand. They recommended various other women. Now, was, Calvin, that, was that intentional or just an oversight? Um, it probably was an oversight. They They wanted... Given Calvin's gifts, they wanted someone of prominence, someone who was wealthy, someone who would be able to support him in his pastoral ministry. Uh, it wasn't exactly the road to riches, so to speak, uh, being a pastor at that time. And But he just didn't find himself interested in any of those ladies, much to the um, surprise of some of his friends who kept trying to set him up and he uh, found himself, though very much attracted, to Adelette de Bure. And so they married on uh, August 6th of 1540. 
and he adopted as well her two children who had no father at that time, Jacques and Judith, and brought them all into his own family. And they, uh, they had another year or so in Strasbourg. Uh, during that time, God was cleaning house in Geneva, and some of the various people who were opposed to the ministry of Calvin in Geneva either were found to be unscrupulous in their ways and were driven out of the city. Uh, others were uh, growing aged, and they gave up their role on the city council. A few others died, and everything changed in Geneva. And suddenly, they began to realize what fools they had been in driving Pharrell and Corot and Calvin out of the city. Well, Pharrell was deeply ensconced in Neuchâtel. Corot was deceased. And so they began a campaign of trying to get Calvin back. And he had deep questions about that. But he finally did agree to come back. On September 13th of the year 1541, you can imagine what that first service was like in St. Pierre. Here's the exiled pastor who has now returned. The church undoubtedly was crowded with people ready to hear some flaming rhetoric against them all or how they had wrongly thrown him out. But that is not at all what Calvin did. What he did was he just started in the very next verse of the book that he had been preaching in back near Easter of 1538. He took the very next verse and just continued to expound the word of God as he had committed himself to do. In the previous years, that's it was a, the most remarkable service. That's a true reform pastor. <laughs> <laughs> well, Calvin believed in what he called Lectio Continuo, and that's the idea of a continual exposition of the Word of God, yes. uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And that's what he committed himself to do through his entire ministry. And that's why we have so many wonderful commentaries based on his scriptural teaching and also a pretty large collection of sermons. Yeah, today no, today, today more commonly known as expository preaching. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So uh, Calvin comes back to Geneva, and uh, he picks up his uh, ministry again there and he has uh, a number of challenging years from 1541 all the way up to 1555 during those 14 years it was a crucible at times of difficulties and hardships but he continues to persevere he writes his first commentary on the bible which was from the book of romans uh, from sermons he had preached in strasbourg he also writes a uh, second edition of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, this time not in Latin, but in French. And so you can buy copies of that second edition of the Institutes. Uh, it's published currently by Banner of Truth, and uh, it's been, obviously been translated into English. 
but a very warm-hearted treatise on the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And so um, while he's in Geneva during those 14 years of, uh, of hard ministry, challenging ministry at times, uh, he sees the rise of an opposition party in Geneva called the Libertines or the Infants de Geneva. And one of the key things they were unsettled about was that as Calvin sort of settles into his ministry in Geneva as the pastor there at St. Pierre, he begins to attract the notice of many, many thousands of refugees who are fleeing from other nations in both Western and Eastern Europe, and they begin to flood into Geneva. And that, of course, alarmed some of the people who were the citizens of Geneva. They didn't know what to do with that. And uh, Calvin had some very wonderful things to do to help them, but uh, many of the citizens were alarmed by that. So that was one issue. The other issue was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's far easier to reform a person's set of doctrines than it is to reform their morals. That's where you go from the head to the heart. And so through Calvin's preaching and his teaching, he certainly set about to do that. But it was a hard sell to some of the people who were committed to gambling, for example, or to... Uh, drunkenness on a regular basis, uh, to engaging with prostitutes and so forth, and very various other licentious activities in Geneva. Just like what, what so, Martin Luther experienced during his pilgrimage to Rome, that shocked him. Oh, yeah, exactly the same. It was pretty shocking. And so through a number of different um, uh, changes of various laws as he worked through the city council, uh, to his preaching and teaching, to his establishing of a leadership in the church, not just pastors, but pastors, elders, deacons, and a fourth office that he called teachers. He uh, began to see the progress of the gospel continue to go forth in Geneva. Now, one thing to keep in mind about the Geneva was as a city, they had declared themselves to be Protestants. They had uh, removed Roman Catholic influences and Roman Catholic authorities. Uh, but that didn't mean that everybody necessarily went along with that. And so there were some who continued to practice Roman Catholic devotional things uh, in their own life, using uh, rosary beads, uh, praying to saints, naming their children after saints, doing various other things that were a part of uh, the Roman Catholic uh, way of thinking and their theological expression. And so that also had to be uh, dealt with. And one of the ways that uh, Calvin and the ministers there dealt with it is they developed what they called the Genevan consistory. Are you familiar with that, Chris? No, I'm not. Okay, well, that was a... Um, that was a group that met every Thursday in Geneva. It was comprised of one or two of the pastors. And it's interesting to read through the consistory records, which have been translated into English. 
uh, thanks to Philip Hughes, who was a reformed pastor and theologian of the last several centuries. He translated that into English, so we have it. And it notes how Calvin was hardly ever absent from the Thursday meetings of the consistory. He was always there, which is a uh, tribute to his long-suffering commitment to be a part of bringing discipline and order to Geneva. But there were the pastors. Then there were some elders who were present. There were some deacons who were present. And there also were representatives from the city council and the local magistrate who were present. And that gives us a a picture of government in Geneva, which was somewhat different from what we know in 21st century United States, uh, where we see a broad separation between the ecclesiastical powers and the civil powers. That's our tradition here in the United States. Well, it was not so at that time in 16th century Geneva. The uh, civil authorities and the church authorities were very closely working together in to bring about moral changes in the city. And so if there was someone who, for example, uh, missed church for three or four Sundays in a row, they would be contacted by one of the local elders, and the elders all had parishes that they related to. They kept in touch with all the families there, and they would go and question that person if they had a good excuse and, well, we've been sick or we've been traveling or for some other reason we couldn't attend the regular worship services, then that would be that would be fine. But if they couldn't give a good excuse, they would be asked to appear before the consistory. So is this a Reformed Baptist group you're talking about? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a, uh, yes, I a Swiss Reformed <laughs> uh, endeavor to bring about a change in morals and practices. Uh-huh. And we can think of all the negatives of such approach, but you have to think also about all the positives of such an approach. Right, especially because of the climate that you're talking about, the moral climate. Right, exactly. So, for example, if someone was sick any more than three days in a row, there was an expectation that the local elders would call on that person and they would go and meet with them and pray with them and see if there was any way they could help them. They would get the deacons involved and so on. Same thing with all the refugees that have flooded the city. The the deacons uh, started several hospitals. There were no such institutions in Geneva prior to the coming of Calvin, but they started these hospitals to deal with medical emergencies, with people who have come down with life-threatening diseases and so forth, where they could find treatment and care based on uh, Christian principles and overseen by the deacons. They also developed a uh, ministry called uh, the Purse, and that was a building in Geneva where refugees could come, and they were taught skills because many of them had no skills. They came to Geneva, which was a highly industrious city, and they would teach them new skills. They would provide clothing. They would provide opportunities for small business loans for people to start a new business. Wow. Uh, there, there were uh, 
several people who came who had a uh, background in printing. And so you see in Geneva over the um, 25 years or so that Calvin labored there, you see a just flourishing of a printing industry in Geneva where hundreds and hundreds of books were printed of reformed and uh, biblically oriented literature. And so all of those things came about because of this positive impact of the Genevan consistory. Now, there were obviously some people who didn't like that, and they were called to account for, uh, for one man for beating his wife or uh, a wife for beating her husband <laughs> or for doing other scandalous things. They were brought before the consistory. Uh, there were people who took umbrage against Calvin's preaching, and they would uh, be in a, a drunken rage in a Genevan uh, bar or place, you know, where they could get liquor, and they would curse Calvin, and they would be brought before the consistory. Uh, so there were all these different things that were going on, but you have to remember that it both was positive for many, many hundreds of people who came to see Geneva as this amazing Christian refuge. And then a few others who are outspoken critics of Calvin, who tended to have very loud voices, and they were amplified by the group called the Libertines, who uh, became the opposition party in Geneva. Now, can I uh, just interrupt you for a second to get a yeah, no problem. Just to get a clarification on the Libertines. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it is my understanding that they really turned the grace of God into licentiousness. And um, and I'm wondering if libertinism came out of a grotesque distortion and twisting of the doctrines of sovereign grace. Well, that is a very perceptive question, and the answer would be yes. Uh, There definitely was that kind of a problem. There were... There were those people who, relying upon their Roman Catholic baptism, uh, relying upon their attendance at church, their giving of tithes and offerings, their participation on the on the feast days and so forth, well, they would claim that they were Christians. Calvin, like Luther and many other reformers, felt that the teaching in Titus 3, that it's not on the basis of things done religious things done, uh, but it is only by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and the renewal of the Spirit that one can identify as a Christian, that that was the primary thing that made us Christians, not all the externals. And so the Libertines arose in opposition to Calvin, uh, but in many ways they were like what Paul talks about in Romans 6. Right. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. Mm-hmm. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Yes, and there are sadly uh, many within, uh, not all, you know, you have exceptions like our dear brother John MacArthur, who is radically opposed to this, but there are many in dispensationalism who believe that as long as you make a profession of faith well-intentioned, 
if a, even if a person lives like Satan himself for the rest of his life, even decades, that person is guaranteed heaven. And it's even more of an issue in hyper-dispensationalism, people who follow what is called uh, free grace, and, and that is a unfortunate thing because there has been a historic term, free grace for the doctrines of sovereign grace. Uh, but uh, so am I correct here? Yeah, and we can all thank God for raising up John MacArthur to write his gospel according to Jesus yes. back in the late 1980s yes. to show the fallacy of that kind of thinking that a yes. person can be, quote, a carnal Christian who points back to a remote past experience or to some things he might even be doing in the present. But if there isn't what Luther would call a fides vive, a living faith, then they are delusional in thinking that they are truly Christians. Yes, and that's an important thing to bring up Luther because, unfortunately, that uh, problem that we just mentioned exists in modern-day Lutheranism. I'm not even talking about the apostate Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. I'm talking about conservative men, and of course, I'm not broad-brushing. I'm just saying men who are even confessional within Lutheranism in very uh, historically sound denominations, but seem to so overemphasize justification by faith alone that they care not about conducting church discipline in their congregations. Well, yeah, there's a... um... There's a, a sad lack of a call to holiness, and that would be true in many Presbyterian churches just as well. Of course, that's my background in being in the Presbyterian world for all these years. But uh, an emphasis on coming to faith in Christ, you've been justified, and then uh, somehow having almost an antinomian type of approach. Right. Of, uh, we're never going to use the words ought and should and so forth. The trouble with that is the Bible uses those kind of words all over the place right. and calls us to holy living. Calvin did much the same, and as a result, uh, a number of people were not happy with him in Geneva. But those numbers, thankfully, began to diminish over the years, and we see him finally making a, um, a really solid impact upon the city, and in 1555, the Libertines were finally defeated, and the um, the number of men who served on the small council in Geneva, the civil government, uh, all were ardent Calvinists in support of the efforts of reform. In fact, if you pick up where you left off there, we have to go to our final commercial break. Sure. And don't go away, folks. We'll be right back. James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries here. If you've watched my Dividing Line webcast often enough, you know I have a great love for getting Bibles and other documents vital to my ministry rebound to preserve and ensure their longevity. And besides that, they feel so good. I'm so delighted I discovered Post Tenebris Lux Bible Rebinding. 
No radio ad will be long enough to sing their praises sufficiently, but I'll give it a shot. Jeffrey Rice of Post Tenebris Lux is a remarkably gifted craftsman and artisan. All his work is done by hand from the cutting to the pleating of corners to the perimeter stitching. Jeffrey uses the finest in buttery soft imported leathers in a wide variety of gorgeous colors like the turquoise goat skin tanned in Italy used for my Nessie All in 28th edition with a navy blue goat skin inside liner and the electric blue goat skin from a French tannery used to rebind a Reformation study Bible used as a gift. The silver gilding he added on the page edges has a stunning mirror finish resembling highly polished chrome. Jeffrey will customize your rebinding to your specifications and even emboss your logo into the leather, making whatever he rebinds a one-of-a-kind work of art. For more details on Post Tenebris Lux Bible Rebinding, go to ptlbiblerebinding.com. That's ptlbiblerebinding.com. Have you noticed the gap that exists between the Sunday morning sermon and the Sunday school classroom or the small group study? So often we experience great preaching from the pulpit, but when it comes time to study God's Word in those smaller settings, well, let's be honest, it leaves a lot to be desired. It seems like it is nearly impossible to find good curriculum out there today that is true to the Word of God and is built upon sound doctrine. Much less, it's hard to find curriculum that will actually teach people how to study the Bible. Hi there, my name is Jordan Too, and I am the Executive Director of the Baptist Publishing House. Our ministry is dedicated to providing local churches with sound Bible study resources. Our quarterly curriculum is titled The Baptist Expositor, and for good reason. We are Baptist, and we exegete the Scriptures. If you want to have a curriculum that teaches your people how to study the Word of God, I invite you, go to our website, download a free study, baptistpublishinghouse.com. May God bless you. It's such a blessing to hear from Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners from all over the world. Here's Joe Riley, a listener in Ireland who wants you to know about a guest on the show he really loves hearing interviewed, Dr. Joe Moorcraft. I'm Joe Riley, a faithful Iron Sharpens Iron radio listener here in Atoy in County Kildare, Ireland, going back to 2005. One of my very favorite guests on Iron Sharpens Iron is Dr. Joe Moorcraft. If you've been blessed by Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, Dr. Moorcraft and Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, are largely to thank since they are one of the program's largest financial supporters. Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming is in Forsyth County, a part of the Atlanta metropolitan area. Heritage is a thoroughly biblical church, unwaveringly committed to Westminster standards, and Dr. Joe Moorcraft is the author of an eight-volume commentary on the larger catechism. Heritage is a member of the Hanover Presbytery, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and tracing its roots and heritage back to the great Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. Heritage maintains and follows the biblical truth and principles proclaimed by the Reformers. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and God's glory alone. Their primary goal is the worship of the triune God that continues in eternity. For more details on Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, visit heritagepresbyterianchurch.com. That's heritagepresbyterianchurch.com. Or call 678 954 
7831. That's 678-954-7831. If you visit, tell them Joe Riley, an Iron Sharpens Iron radio listener from Atai in County Kildare, Ireland, sent you. Hi, I'm Buzz Taylor. Chris Arnson of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio has had a long-time partnership with our friends at CVBBS, which stands for Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. They specialize in supplying Reformed and Puritan books and Bibles at discount prices that make them affordable for everyone. CVBBS has been a family-owned book service since 1987, operating out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. They seek to bring you the best available Christian books and Bibles at the best possible prices. Unlike other book sites, they make no effort to provide every book that is available or popular because, frankly, much of what is being printed is not worth your time. That means you can get to the good stuff faster. It also means you don't have to worry about being assaulted by the pornographic, heretical, and otherwise faith-insulting materials promoted by the secular book vendors. Browse the pages at ease, shop at your leisure, and purchase with confidence at Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. Order online at cvbbs.com. That's cvbbs.com. Or you can order by phone at 1-800-656-0231. That's 1-800-656-0231. Please let our friends at CVBBS know that you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. day at thousands of community centers, high schools, middle schools, juvenile institutions, coffee shops, and local hangouts, Long Island Youth for Christ, staff and volunteers meet with young people who need Jesus. We are rural and urban, and we are always about the message of Jesus. Our mission is to have a noticeable spiritual impact on Long Island, New York, by engaging young people in the lifelong journey of following Christ. Long Island Youth for Christ has been a stalwart bedrock ministry since 1959. We have a world-class staff and a proven track record of bringing consistent love and encouragement to youths in need all over the country and around the world. Help honor our history by becoming a part of our future. Volunteer, donate, pray, or all of the above. For details, call Long Island Youth for Christ at 631-385-8333. That's 631-385-8333. Or visit liyfc.org. That's liyfc.org. When Iron Sharpens Iron Radio first launched in 2005, the publishers of the New American Standard Bible were among my very first sponsors. It gives me joy knowing that many scholars and pastors in the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio audience have been sticking with or switching to the NASB. I'm Dr. Joe Moorcraft, pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church in Cumming, Georgia, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Anthony Uvino, founder of the ReformRookie.com and co-founder of New York Apologetics, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. 
I'm Pastor Tim Bushong of Syracuse Baptist Church in Syracuse, Indiana, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Eli Ayala, founder of Revealed Apologetics and staff member with the Historical Bible Society, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Josh Miller of Grace Bible Fellowship Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Joe Bianchi, president of Calvary Press Publishing in Greenville, South Carolina, And the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Jake Korn of Switzerland Community Church in Switzerland, Florida. And the NASB is my Bible of choice. Here's a great way for your church to help keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastors, are your pew Bibles tattered and falling apart? Consider restocking your pews with the NASB. And tell the publishers you heard about them from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com to place your order. President of the SecureCom Group and an enthusiastic supporter of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron radio program. The SecureCom Group provides the highest level of security, closed circuit television, access control, and communication systems for Manhattan's top residential buildings, as well as churches, commercial properties, municipalities, and more. We custom install exactly what you need to protect yourself, including digital recording, off-site viewing, and connectivity from most smart devices. From simple code-activated systems to the latest technology using facial recognition, the SecureCom Group has it. We also provide the latest in intercom and IP telephone systems. In addition, we provide superior networking platforms. We'll create, maintain, and secure your local network. Whether it's a Wi-Fi or hardwire network, we'll implement the latest secured firewall, endpoint solutions, and cloud backup. I would love to have the honor and privilege of helping protect the lives and property of Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners and their associates. For more details on how the SecureCom Group may be of service to you with the very latest in security innovations, call 718-353-3355. That's 718-353-3355. Or visit securecomgroup.com. That's securecomgroup.com. This is Brian McLaughlin of the SecureCom Group, joining Chris Arnzen's family of advertisers to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Puritan Reformed is a Bible-believing, kingdom-building, devil-fighting church. We are devoted to upholding the apostolic doctrine and practice preserved in Scripture alone. Puritan Reformed teaches men to rule and lead as image-bearing prophets, priests, and kings. We teach families to worship together as families. Puritan is committed to teaching the whole counsel of God so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. We sing the Psalms, teach the law, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, maintain discipline, and exalt Christ. This is Pastor David Reese of Puritan Reformed in Phoenix, Arizona. Join us in the glorious cause of advancing Christ's crown and covenant over the kings of the earth. 
Puritan Reformed Church. Believe. Build. Fight. PuritanPHX.com. And before we return to our discussion, I just want to make a couple of announcements. Folks, you've been hearing ads every day for years now for the Historical Bible Society. Please remember that that fine ministry was founded by its president, Daniel P. Buttafuoco, attorney at law. If you're the victim of a very serious personal injury or medical malpractice, please call Dan Buttafuoco of Buttafuoco and Associates at 1-800-NOW-HURT, 1-800-NOW-HURT, or visit his website, 1-800-NOW-HURT.COM, 1-800-NOW-HURT.COM. Please always mention that you heard about Dan and Buttafuoco and Associates from Iron Trip and Zion Radio. And please keep in mind, uh, this includes uh, personal injury and medical malpractice victims in all 50 states. That's 1-800-NOW-HURT or 1-800-NOW-HURT.COM. Also, men in ministry leadership, you're all invited to my next free biannual Iron Trip and Zion Radio Pastors Luncheon to be held June the 6th, Thursday, June the 6th, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., at Church of the Living Christ in Loysville, Pennsylvania, which is Perry County. And for the very first time, my guest speaker will be Dr. Joel Beakey, founder and president of Puritan Reform Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Not only is admission free and the food free, but every man attending will receive a very heavy sack of free, brand-new books, personally selected by me, and donated by Christian publishers all over the United States and the United Kingdom. So if you'd like to register, please send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com and put Pastor's Luncheon in the subject line. And uh, before I have you pick up where you left off, uh, Pastor Marcus, where we were talking about the, uh, the defeat of the Libertines, I just wanted to squeeze in a couple of listener questions, especially since one of them is from the aforementioned Grady in Asheboro, North Carolina, for whom I requested prayer in the beginning of the show as he uh, is recovering from triple bypass surgery and was experiencing a setback in his ability to breathe properly. So I hope you're you're going to continue to pray for Grady. But Grady asks, Greetings, brothers. It amazes me the number of sermons pastors preached back in that era. How many sermons did Calvin preach in a week? The answer to that varied at different times and uh, normally he would preach twice on sunday he had a morning service then an evening service with a catechetical instruction in between for youth and for adults who had just come to the faith so sunday was a busy day and then uh, he would give lectures or sermons in the auditoire or the auditorium that was right next door to St. Pierre, the cathedral in Geneva. And he would do that on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, three days a week. So that was a, a normal pattern for Calvin. Also on Thursday, he had the consistory. And on Friday, he would gather with the other local pastors for a pastor's time of exhortation and encouragement in their pastoral ministries. But as time went along, Grady, the um, the requests that were coming for Calvin to preach more and more increased so that eventually he was preaching on five days uh, during the week, Monday through Friday, in his lectures that he would give in the auditoire. 
And thankfully, a lot of those sermons and lectures were written down by a French man that the uh, deacons hired. His name was Denis Raganot. And for 12 years, he recorded, or, or just by his handwriting, he would write down in shorthand method the um, sermons that Calvin preached. Then he would submit the manuscript to Calvin for any corrections, and eventually those would be published. And so that's why we have about 5,000 sermons and lectures from the pen of John Calvin. Well, praise God. Thank you, Grady. We're still praying for you. And we have Ted in Moundville, Alabama. Your guest mentioned the practice of naming children after saints as a as part of a litany of Romanist practices that Calvin's administration tried to stamp out. It reminded me of an off-sided anecdote about a Genevan resident who was jailed for four days because he insisted on naming his newborn son Claude. <laughs> two questions. Does he know if this is a true story? And number two, if it were true, do you think that would be an acceptable exercise of church-state power? The, um, the antidote that you refer to is one that's widely circulated, and there are certainly in the uh, records of the Genevan consistory in the book I mentioned earlier, edited by Philip Hughes and published by Erdman's, uh, there are examples similar to that in the um, records of the Genevan consistory. So I'm going to say that anecdotal uh, story is probably true in many respects, if not in every particular. The, the problem was that the people in Geneva were very superstitious in their view in regard to infant baptism and also in regard to the naming of their children. And they felt that there would be special favors of God that would go with the naming of them after a saint. The reformers, rightly, I believe, saw that as a very unhealthy practice. And they tried to change the dynamics there and to, to uh, get people to do different things. It proved to be very troublesome to try to make that come about, but they tried. Is that where the names like yeah. Tucker and Bucky uh, and Sport came, <laughs> in, came into being? <laughs> Possibly so. Uh, um, at least in our family, I have five sons and four daughters, and we we decided to go with just biblical names. And so uh, all of our kids are named after Bible people. And of course, those, um, those are very often the same names as saints. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it. The larger question you ask is church-state relations, and I would say that uh, the principle of the church and state working together could be very beneficial in our current society of having a magistrate who recognized that there was value and wisdom in the law of God, and there was value and wisdom to be found in the Christian church. Instead, what we find today is a, an antagonistic approach that somehow uh, the law of God and Christian churches are to have no realm or no role at all in the civil realm. 
in, in the marketplace of ideas or in the general marketplace of society. And unfortunately, so, unfortunately, brother, we're out of time, but I already know I want you back for part two of this conversation. And I'll, uh, I'll try to pick a date with you when we go off the air. I want to remind our listeners that the website of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas, is RedeemerPres.org. RedeemerPres.org. Thank you so much for being an absolutely exquisite guest. I look forward to your return, in fact, many times in the future, God willing. And I want you all to always remember for the rest of your lives that Jesus Christ is a far greater Savior than you are a sinner.